So as we look ahead to Brighton's tie against Blackpool at the Amex in the fourth round of the FA Cup, here on Brighton and Banter, I really wasn't going to do a cold open for this episode. It's Blackpool, and I don't really have a problem with them. Brighton have 10 wins, 10 draws, and 10 losses in their last 30 against Blackpool since 1972. And I actually rate the club quite highly. And we've always got plenty of time to bully Scott Parker. But then I remembered that Brighton beat Leeds on Saturday. Big club, Leeds United. Yo, this is important. Leeds are so big, so big, that even Fulham have a more valuable squad. (laughs) Alrighty. Good evening from Columbia, South Carolina. This is episode two of Brighton and Banter. Firstly, my bad on the time that this is getting out. I meant to make sure this episode was out early this morning, but I had a few things pop up, and I figured better late than never. Secondly, I made a Twitter for the show, Brighton and Banter, so y'all can go ahead and tweet at me, and uh, tomorrow I'll start bantering y'all from the far reaches of the cyber lands, so you can have that to look forward to. But I digress. We're here to break down Brighton's fourth round FA Cup tie. We're going to talk a little Blackpool, talk a little bit about the squad that Grand Potter could go with tomorrow for the game, and then a little bit at the end about the January transfer window because, well, there's a bit to talk about. So let's jump straight in with Blackpool, who come into this game 16th in League One, albeit with a game or two in hand over most of the other teams around them. And to me, this feels like they're underachieving, considering they have the seventh most expensive squad, and it's their fourth year in the league. They come into this tie against Brighton winless in their last four, and barely drawing against the 10-man Hull City side last time out. Although, it does feel like Hull are going to go straight back up into the championship. So I'm not sure how much stock to really give that. They have a negative three goal difference, scoring 21 and conceding 24 in 21 games. Now, admittedly, I haven't watched a single Blackpool game this season, but that sounds to me like quite an impressive defensive record and a very inconsistent goal-scoring record. So let's hope that poor goal-scoring record for Blackpool continues and hopefully Brighton wake up and are able to put a couple past what will undoubtedly be a very resilient and organized Blackpool defense. But as I mentioned, I'm really not here to banter Blackpool. I actually rate the club. I rate the ground, Bloomfield Road. What a classic football stadium that is. And thank God Brighton don't have to go to Blackpool in late January, right off the Irish Sea. Oh my God, that sounds miserable. So, yeah, Blackpool. I like the club. Big fan of Neil Critchley. What is he, the ex-Liverpool Academy coach? And hey, while Brighton were busy winning silverware in League One, Blackpool were getting promoted and immediately relegated from the Premier League. What was that? 2010-2011? Well, hey, at least you were there for a year. Let's talk some Seagulls. Alright, enough Blackpool. Let's talk Brighton, and let's jump right into some team news that we know of, and try to figure out what Graham Potter's going to go with here in terms of a lineup and in terms of a squad, because although Poole aren't the strongest competition... He's got to get the team selection right because Brighton have to go through here. 
Well, I don't even really want to phrase it like that because they will go through. But he's got to get the blend right of some young kids and enough first team to not only just get the win, but get a really nice boost of confidence before Fulham come to the MX for a huge game next Wednesday. So the lineup that Grand Potter goes with here is really going to be quite interesting. Personally, I think Potter's got to go with Sanchez in goal. Number one, for a confidence booster, I think Brighton have to be odds on here to pick up a clean sheet just based off of Blackpool's own goal-scoring record. But then also, Brighton have looked really stout defensively over the last few games. And then also, I just don't trust Christian Walton. I just don't. Yeah, he's a big guy. He's, what is he, 6'4"? But he just lacks athleticism, and he just seems a little clumsy, especially with the ball at his feet, which is obviously just how Brighton play. Now, yes, Brighton will have plenty of the ball. Yes, the, the keeper, and Walton or Sanchez, should have minimal touches. But still, are we really expecting Brighton to score four or five goals here and put the game away? I'm not. It will be a comfortable win, I hope. But it's not going to be a the keeper feels no pressure because the game's out of hand kind of win. You know, I think it'll be a scrappy 2-0 kind of win where the game always looks and feels quite comfortable, but where the scoreline isn't really ever that far lopsided. So yeah, I feel Sanchez in goal. And then again, because Blackpool struggle to score themselves, we shouldn't do them any favors on the back line either. I think we'll play a strong back line. There's plenty of time between Saturday and Wednesday to recover. So we should play some of the first teamers and some of the kids. I think the back three could be White and Byrne with Duncan between them. That would give Webster and Veltman a rest. So that could be the way to go. I know Romarek Yappi has looked really good for the 23s and he was not involved in the squad today that got absolutely hammered by Arsenal. So I'm not sure if he's hurt, um, but that could be a sign that Potter wants to bring him into the squad. He would be playing right wing back in Potter's system, and I'd be totally okay with that. The real question is, are these two Polish kids ready to go? Is Carbonic ready to go on the left-hand side? Now, Potter kind of made it sound like he wasn't when he said Brighton were going to quote-unquote take their time with him. But if he is ready, we should play him. Because otherwise, it pretty much has to be Solly March, unless Webster and or Veltman want to slide into the back three and then kick Big Dan Byrne out wide. And then again, it's the same question in the midfield. I mean, I expect Eve Basuma to play because he really wasn't involved last weekend. And then if Modera is ready to go, I want to see this kid lace him up. But if not, I would assume Alzate, which again, I wouldn't mind that at all. I'd like to see more of Steven Alzate, honestly. I don't think he's hurt. There's been so many awkward knocks for Brighton players, I just can't really keep track. Obviously, if Potter doesn't really trust Alzate, he could slide Pascal into the deeper role where he's played a few times. But again, if Jakob Modere is ready, I'd like to see him get some minutes tomorrow. And then up front, it really sounds like it's going to be Rita Kedra and Andy Zakiri, two players that personally I'm really excited about seeing. Now, Kedra is listed as a left winger, so I assume that's where he would play if he was to start the game. Although I believe he came on on the right side when he made his debut against Man City. Then obviously, Andy Zakiri will lead the line. And then I'm assuming Percy Tao on the right side. Again, just to try to keep building him some game time and and boosting a little confidence. Now, I'm looking at this 
at this lineup. And it's pretty scary because I'm not sure who's going to score the goal. There's a lot of highly regarded and yet equally unproven talent in this potential lineup. I mean, these kids have to prove themselves at some point, so we might as well throw them in against Blackpool. All right, let's talk about this January window because I really did not know what to expect. In fact, I had no expectations. First of all, you've got the whole global pandemic thing, so clubs are definitely strapped for cash at the moment. January is also a difficult window normally, especially to bring in first-team players that will immediately step into the first team. In this case, for Brighton, that's probably a striker, just because clubs aren't willing to part with their prized assets in the middle of a season. If a player is going to come into a Premier League outfit and immediately walk into the team, it means he's probably a star player in one of these other leagues, and teams aren't going to part with their number one guy in January. They just aren't. And then also, historically, Brighton have not really gone for that type of player in the January window anyway. Now, Brighton have done some smart business. They've acquired some young talent, but nothing for the first team immediately. The only thing I was aware of was that Graham Potter was not happy with the size of his squad. Now, usually if we're a coach, that means they need to bring a few assets in. But in this case, it meant that Potter wanted to ship a few guys out. Now, I don't think that meant we had any people that were sort of bad apples, if you will. But our squad size was pretty large. However, like I said, it's difficult to ship guys out. First of all, clubs aren't going to splash the cash for reasons that I just mentioned. And then also, Brighton historically do not sell or loan players to clubs that Brighton feel they are competing with. Now, oddly enough, despite Graham Potter's wishes to trim the squad, Brighton have recalled three players from loan in Percy Tau, Jakob Moder, and Mikhail Carbonic, and moved three players out, Jason Malumbi, Bernardo, and Daddy Ryan. Thus far, <laughs> Potter has not succeeded in trimming his squad whatsoever. There, of course, is still about another week to go. Now, I do want to spend some time talking about the three loan recalls that Brighton made in Tau, Modair, and Carbonic, but there will be a little bit more time for that over the next episode or two, and I feel like Brighton fans are already familiar with these players, having probably read about them over the summer when they were signed or a few summers ago in the case of Percy Tau. I want to instead focus on the three players that Brighton moved out, Jason Malumbi, Bernardo, and Daddy Ryan. I believe Jason Malumbi is going to be a star. I just do. I think he's going to be a fantastic defensive midfield player. I honestly feel bad for him. I don't know that there's a lot more that he can do. I feel that he's unlucky in that there are just too many guys in front of him right now that Potter trusts a little bit more. Now, that being said, Pascal Gross is getting a little bit older, Yves Basuma is starting to attract quite a bit of attention. I think there could be a chance for Jason Malumbi to play for Brighton within the next year. That being said, it does seem like it's becoming increasingly difficult to keep him happy. So I'm happy for him. I'm glad he'll get to play a little bit up at Preston North End. And this sort of kicks the can down the road with him another half year. Now, Bernardo is the most disappointing one because I was really excited when Chris Hutton brought Bernardo in from RB Leipzig. Now, in truth, I'm not sad to see him move on. 
because he hasn't worked out at Brighton. I'm just sad he didn't work out. Truth is, my biggest source of frustration with Bernardo is where he came from. Red Bull Leipzig is a hotbed of young talent. And I also don't feel like the Bundesliga is as much of a roulette wheel as some of the other leagues are that Brighton tend to fish around in, namely the Jupiter Pro League. So to have Bernardo come over from Leipzig, having been starting for them in Champions League, and to just not have any success whatsoever, I mean, for him to come to Brighton and not be able to show any of his quality in the Premier League was just, has been, has just been so frustrating to watch. And then there's Daddy Ryan. Now, a lot of the British tabloids this morning were thoroughly confused by this move and really surprised and painted almost it as a negative on Brighton, but I really don't understand this at all. Sanchez is the better keeper. Robert Sanchez is the better keeper, and I agree with Graham Potter. If Jason Steele has been putting in the work as the backup, I've got no problems with him being the backup. He was fantastic against Newport in the FA Cup. Four saves in the penalty shootout. He's earned the right to be the backup. So first of all, I'm happy for Daddy that he might get a little bit of playing time at Arsenal, at least in the FA Cup, maybe in the Europa League. But I'm also hopeful that he can turn into a saleable asset in the summer. I'm hoping this is a loan-to-buy type situation because Brighton could always use a little bit of extra cash to incentivize the striker buy that we've all been hoping for. But I have no problems, none, with Daddy Ryan moving on. He's been a great servant to Brighton. I've got nothing but respect. But he's not been as effective this season, and Sanchez is the better keeper. There's just no other way to say it. Now, what I will say is that this Arsenal loan move does break a trend. It breaks a trend of Brighton traditionally not doing business with Premier League teams that they're competing against. (laughs) Alrighty, y'all. That's it for this episode. Stay well. Stay sane. Up the Albion. The fifth round beckons.